Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another video from fantasyfootballscout.co.uk. My name is David and today we are continuing in our FPL team reveal series where we quiz the biggest and brightest minds in FPL to find out who is in their first draft ahead of the 23-24 campaign. We've had the game for uh, coming up on 10 days now. We've had plenty of time to tinker around with our squads and now is the opportunity to find out where the initial dust has settled. And I'm very, very pleased today to be joined by Neil Rigg, who is, of course, the editor uh, of the site. You may know him as Sconto Rigger on Twitter. You may also know him as the best guesser of most Premier League teams from one week to the other, because, of course, he is also of Team News fame as well. Um, I'll try and spare your blushes by limiting my introduction there for you, Neil. Uh, it's nice to have you here. How are you doing? I'm all right, yeah. Thanks very much. Yeah, emphasis on most there, uh, <laughs> uh, but we exclude Man City from that from that collection. But yeah, uh, I, if you don't know me already, yeah, I'm, I'm the editor of, of Scout, and you probably see my writing more than my face because I think it's just a team news video that I appear on um, most weeks throughout the season. But uh, I'm landing my ugly mug to this as well. My my team reveal. I'm doing all right. Yeah, I'm doing not too bad. It's um, it's been nice to have the weekends back this summer because uh, we we work those throughout the season. And um, to sort of go more in depth into articles as well, you, you're kind of up against the clock sometimes, sometimes during the week when the season's underway. But over the summer, you you get a little bit more time to go deeper into certain subject matters. Um, you know, writing about the promoted teams and and um, sort of members comparisons. So it's my favourite time of the year for writing because um, you can tackle a you know a wider range of subject rather than the weekly picks and differentials and things like that. So yeah, I'm enjoying it at the moment. Yeah, I have to say, I share your enthusiasm, actually. Um, those of you who are sort of like very uh, niche Fantasy Football Scout editorial fans will know that, of course, uh, me and Neil used to do a lot of this content together. And it really was so much fun because that's the time of the season when we get to discover new people. And, of course, the man behind me, Mr. John Lundstrom himself, was one of our discoveries, uh, as was Aaron Wambasaka as well. Um, and and uh, we discovered that, of course, using the preseason minute spreadsheet, which is, of course, a benefit of membership as well. Um, why don't you tell us a bit about what it's like populating that? Uh, spreadsheet in, in many ways I feel bad because I made you do that back in the day and here you are a slave to the fact that actually we found some good information there you're still slaving away at that pre-season minute spreadsheet what's it like hmm. yeah it's updated at the t- as, as we speak um, I've just filled in my United Smiths from yesterday and it was at Brentford as well they were playing Boreham so this yeah if, if you're not aware of it it's um, team by team and it lists all the players I think not just priced up by FPL but Academy products and second string players who are who are playing in preseason as well, and gives you a game by game overview of how many minutes each player has played. So at this time of the year, it's, it's perhaps less uh, important because some players haven't even returned to training yet from you know the internationals who are given a bit extra time off. But gradually, as the summer goes on, it is very useful because you get to see who is sort of match sharp, who's who's played the most over the summer, which 
yeah, budget assets, I suppose, are in with a chance of, of game week one appearances. And that's, as you say, Lundstrom, that's how he came about because he was peripheral, wasn't he, in the Sheffield United promotion winner campaign? I think he played like five games or something in the, in the second tier. Wasn't even um, mentioned in the promoted articles that we did with, with Sheffield United fans. Everyone thought he would either be like backup or or sent out on, on loan or something like that. But um, we saw throughout that summer him him racking up the minutes in pre-season and it became apparent quite quickly that he was going to be starting. And uh, the rest is history. Um, so there's, yeah, there's there's a few players we'd have an eye on this summer. Um, I think it's particularly in in the in the budget brackets in in defence midfield and up front because at first glance, like midfielders and forwards especially, there's really nothing there. But it happens every year where there's someone just comes out of the pack and starts to accumulate minutes. It can be after a loan move or a transfer elsewhere. But Pereira was was an example of that last season. But um, that's it's a handy at a glance guide for uh, for picking out players like that. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, it is uh, one of the many facets of Fantasy Football Scout membership, which you haven't already sorted that for the season. Now is the time, of course, to do that. You can save up to 30% on those preseason prices. The preseason minute spreadsheet, which we've talked about in great detail there, is one of those things where you get points projections, transfer planners, drafts from the best fantasy managers in the world as well, including three former winners. The most recent one as well, Ali, finished to 215th in his season before winning it. So he especially knows what he's talking about, and you'll get plenty of advice from him. All sorts of tools as well uh, in terms of comparisons uh, comparison tools tables all sorts of stuff for you to interact with and find out the answers to your questions and the season ticket as well and some of the stuff that Neil and Tom and Mark work on in the editorial department uh, is obviously exclusive to members as well so you'll be able to get full access to all of Neil's thoughts rather than just a select amount of his thoughts which is always better especially in a context surrounding who's the best player to own, who's the best uh, player in 150-50 to the next. So make sure you've sorted that as well. Now, before we jump into your team, Neil, I just want to talk to you about team news as well, because, of course, that is perhaps Mm. what you are renowned for the most. Uh, That's something you've been doing ever since you joined Scout about six years ago now. Um, Can you tell us um, what we can expect from you uh, when the season really starts to get underway for those anybody out there who's not really aware, just how much time, effort and thought goes into looking at every Premier League team and working out who you think is most likely to play from one week to the next. Yeah, it is It is a bit of an, an endeavour. It takes it most of my Friday and, and a lot of Thursday as well. Um, so if you're not aware, it's a tab we've got on the site. It's our most visited page, actually. It's, it's usually popular. Even at this time of year, strangely enough, people are still going to that, that that page, I think, to see what you know who's going to start in game week one, I guess. But um, I think we updated provisionally after a game week's just finished, so say Monday, Tuesday. Um, but it gets finalised on, on a Thursday and Friday after the press conferences. So I will be listening to, to all 20 where they're available. Um, where not, I'll be list- I'll be reading transcripts and, and things like that for, for key quotes from managers. I guess my role is, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't be as big headed to say as I, I know exactly what's going to happen at all 20 teams. I think my job is to almost accumulate thought on what the consensus opinion is. So I, I will flock to fans forums and uh, local newspapers as well um, to sort of get the, the gen on who they think might be coming into the team or, um, you know, who's coming back from injury, things like that. Um, game week one, actually, our, our printed lineups are slightly easier to predict because we have seen generally the strongest team feature in that last friendly. That tends to be what teams do. It's not always the case, but um, the real hard work becomes later in the season when the rotation is starting to happen and and uh, you know European football kicks in and things like that. But uh, it's yeah, it's a lot of effort. Um, uh, it's enjoyable though. It's you know it's nice when things go right. And um, you know I wouldn't profess to be an expert on on all twenty teams, but it's it's I think the hard work you put in tends to get reflected in, in the results. Most of them, like someone tracked our predicted lineups last season, and they were like ahead of, of other people who were doing it, which is it sounds like a, a bit of a brag, but it's, it's just it's just a, I think it's just a reflection of, of um, that you need you need to put time into it. I think you know it's it's something you can't really do as a throwaway thing. You, you need to to accumulate thought and opinion on the matter and and recognise patterns as well. I think after five years of doing it, you know, for example, Brentford. So just an example of what Brentford do when they're playing a, a bigger team, they tend to go 3-5-2. When they're playing an easier team, it's 4-3-3. So it's little nuggets like that, like you you pick up over the years. Um, Rule forms, port your thought, but it's uh, it's 
it's hard, hard to, and it's uh, it's um, it, it can lead to long hours, but it's probably the most favourite part of the job. Actually, it's, <laughs> it's nice, you know, going going deep down and trying to trying to second guess these uh, these blasted managers. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean that's the thing. I mean, you 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 seem afraid to brag about it too much, so I might just take it that extra mile just for you. I mean, yeah, it's it's that extra time that you put into it, and it's the advantage of doing it as a full time job, which you know other places don't really have the opportunity to do that even when you look at yeah. like bbc and sky for exactly. example you know they don't necessarily have someone who's like dedicated specifically to this task and and again just yeah. speaking from personal experience when me and neil used to work together a friday i would i would barely hear from him because he was just so buried in all of that stuff and you know it, and it's because it's, it's spotting those patterns that people underappreciate i think how much time you have to put in into just going back over so many other matches i mean man city again is another really challenging one because they just play in so many competitions there's so many different iterations to to work through um and yeah that's just that's one of the other many benefits of using fantasy football scout content because you are getting direct access to a guy whose literal day job five days a week eight hours a day or probably more than eight hours a day um spotting these patterns in, in the team um so yeah uh there we are i've completed the brag for you neil so you don't have to, to sound too up yourself <laughs> thanks so very much there we are well with that out of the way let's jump into specifically your team because of course you know the, the team that you sometimes can uh, help influence some of your your picks for example and i suppose one place we should start actually and you've already mentioned brentford is how you've decided to cover them and how you've decided not to cover them in your initial draft because you are officially the first person to come here without and burmo and Pratt. Hmm had some concerns about Mbermo, but took him for now. You presumably have some concerns about Mbermo and feel quite positive by comparison about Vissa, who you do have in your team. So let's start there. No Mbermo, you've got Vissa. What was the thinking there? Um, I think Mbermo is the better pick. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> so I, I haven't just done this for the sake of it. I mean, I did I did like to try and differ from the template somewhat uh, and present a slightly tweaked draft. There's still a lot of template picks in there. Basically, I think what you want from your team, your team is, is less or as few compromises as possible. So, you know, I don't like coverage as a as a as a thing in FPL. I'm trying to match a, a more expensive assets returns with a cheaper counterpart. I think that's it can lead to a um, to a sort of wishy washy fifty fifty decisions that that you know and and it just doesn't doesn't work a lot of the time. Um, with Wissa, that is my one compromise, I think, in his team, and that Mbomo is probably still my preferred pick, especially since they've changed positions. Uh, I did an article on on what these two players would have scored last season. I think Mbomo would have finished in the top 10 midfielders, um, I think just behind Bruno Fernandes, with the, those adjusted points. You would have gotten more for, for um, clean sheets and uh, goals, obviously. Um, but I don't think Wissa is a bad pick in his own in his own right. And I've seen some teams actually with the, the Brentford double up. So just start with Wissa's uh, plus points. Um, he should, barring any further transfer activity from Brentford, be leading the line for, for Brentford. We know Ivan Tony suspended until January. And whenever that happened last season, whenever Tony was out, be it through injury or suspension, it was Wissa who was leading the line uh, whenever they played 4 3 3. So in that formation, which they play against the, the weaker teams, it would be Umbumo. On the right, Vissa through the middle, and then uh, I think Kevin Sharder or I think Lewis Potter's fit now. He could play there as well. I think Dam's got even play there on the left. Uh, so Vissa will be through the middle now. Umbumo has penalties, we think, so that is another thing in his favour. But both of them excelled whenever Tony wasn't there last year. Far be from from Tony being a, absence being a hindrance, they sort of came into the home. So over half of Vissa's attacking returns last season, he got eleven in total. Six of them came when Tony was missing, and he only missed five games. So he got more in those those six uh, five appearances than he did in the rest of the rest of the season. We said so. Um, his underlying stats went up, as did Mbumu's. Um, but he's six million, so he's half a million cheaper. And I think there's there's, there's there are fewer picks up top than there are in midfield. There's just a wealth of options in midfield, like Mbumu's. Just one of probably about ten or eleven midfielders on my watch list, whereas there's, there's certainly fewer in in attack. Um, now I still might go back to Mbomo, but for the moment, because I like um, as we'll come on to in a second, a second Man City representative for their good fixture run. That was the compromise I made by by going for Visser up top. Um, and I, as I say, it still might might go back to Mbomo, but 
his um, his underlying numbers were pretty good. They weren't as good as Mbuma was, admittedly. But he had been spending much of the season playing out on the on the flank or dropping to the bench, Visser, and now he's that leading central figure. And um, I think he's been as under-talked as Mbuma's been over-talked. Um, and I think he's I think he's one of the sort of standout six million forwards, if that's what you want. Uh which is not necessarily what will end up with come game week one, but that's me. That's me coming thinking anyway. Yeah, I have to say that the gap in the XT between these two players isn't expected, talked about. Their deltas are totally the opposite of each other, aren't they? Because yeah, Mbomo is is yeah. in everybody's team. Visa very much yeah. being overlooked at the moment, so could very much be a differential. I actually like your thinking in the sense that you want to be able to still cover that uh, Brentford attack, although we don't use the C word as we've already discussed um, <laughs> <laughs> too freely. Uh, Foden coming in for Mbomo. I mean, there seems to be a lot of upside there. Uh, you are the second person to come to these uh, team reveals with Foden. The other one was Gianni. Made a very strong case for him. Now, one of the things we talked about was rotation, for example. Yeah. And, uh, well, I think you might be able to perhaps enlighten us just on how City traditionally don't actually rotate as much as people expect at the start of a campaign. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, that's that's the... That's cited as a reason not not to go mad on on city players, and I, and it's a, a reason I adhere to most of the most of the year. But you know, Champions League didn't start until after game week five, and I think yes, they have the Super Cup. I think that's between game weeks one and two, uh, but that's a glorified exhibition match, really. Um, so looking at last year, when you're just playing one game a week, uh, and not you know going abroad and juggling Wednesday Saturday turnarounds. Then actually Pep's rotated much less. So last season, for example, I think there were seven players starting the first four games, so ever presence. And Nathan Aki would have done the same if he hadn't been injured. So that's like eight out of eleven. If there will be the week to week rotation, he does this he does this whenever. There will be, you know, horses for courses selections. If he comes up against a deep bat line, he likes, you know, runners from midfield. If he's up against a, a tougher opponent, he likes that control he's talking about with, you know, Bernardo. So there'll still be those selections, selection changes from week to week, but the core of our team, I think, will remain um, the same for the first four or five game weeks. And then once you get into the Champions League, then then there's a bit more of a lottery there. Um, and City's fixtures are brilliant, so I'll read them right now. Burnley, Newcastle, yeah, fair enough, that's tough, but Newcastle did uh, did concede five to Man City last season, despite their, their tough defence. Sheffield United, Fulham, West Ham, Nottingham Forest, Wolves. So it's an absolutely brilliant, brilliant start. Um, and if I guess Foden's a placeholder to some, for the best City midfielder, in, who I think comes apparent in, in pre season, so it could be Mares, could be Grealish, could be Bernardo. Um, the it could be Alvarez, actually. I mean, that the one thing that could happen is I switch Foden and Wissa for Alvarez and Mbomo. And I would only ever go near Alvarez if De Bruyne is injured, which he is, he's injured at the moment, he's he did his hamstring. In the Champions League final, there's talk that he won't be fit for the start of the season. Now I'll monitor that. If he's if he's anywhere near close, I won't go near Alvarez because um I think those two will lead in, into each other's game time. Alvarez, far be from from just being a, a Haaland um reliever up top for minutes, is has been used quite a lot by Pep in that De Bruyne position when they come up against the deeper bat line. So uh, there that is an option. But Foden, um we saw him in the Champions League used in, in central midfield when he came on the final. Um, they've lost Gundogan now, so they've lost one of those runners from midfield that Pep likes. And I do wonder whether Foden will now be used a, a bit more through the middle rather than out wide where Grealish is and, and on the opposite flank where, where Mares and Bernardo have played. Whereas we might see him, barring any further signings, because they've got Kovacic, but I think he'll be more used for, for the tougher fixtures. I think we might see Foden a bit more central this year. So... He's in there as a city placeholder um, before seeing any of the preseason friendlies. But I, everyone's going to own Haaland come game week one, and they've got some absolutely brilliant fixtures to start with. So I think he's, um, I think having a second city attacker in there with the obvious risks beyond the Champions League starting is um, is where you could possibly get an edge. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose you've talked about the existing context. The context could get even kinder if we do get confirmation that De Bruyne is out for, for a longer time. But also there is sort of some transfer swirlings that, that possible that Bernardo Silva might leave. And, you know, while we probably yeah. can't necessarily comment on uh, rumours of that description at the moment, you know, there's still just the possibility that some of those players move on and that's just fewer players to feed into that rotation machine. So um, that on top of the preseason should hopefully help us uh, work things out there. And you're absolutely right. I mean, I always use Joe's uh, analogy of sword versus shield. Haaland is the shield. You know, if everybody's yeah. got Haaland, how do you actually get green arrows out of a fantastic fixture run with the best attack in the league? Well, you go and get someone else and you you kind of look past the preconceptions. And I think that, I mean, that's probably probably the best way to describe some of the work that, that we do at Fantasy Football Scouts sometimes is you get this kind of preconception bandwagon kind of emerge on its own from a broad kind of rather blunt opinion but when you delve into it deeper you can see that maybe Visser is the one playing further in the centre forward role more than Obama you see that actually at the start of a season someone like Foden is probably going to start all four games just based on the history when you have that closer look and that's the advantage of being able to uh, to have the opportunity to look for those things right and that can help you with your team yeah and and you know these aren't season holders you know City players other than Haaland just aren't that uh, there might be a defender who, who crops up who's like a mainstay in the back line, but you, there's no reason to think of these players as long-term purchases. It's just about capitalising on their spells in the team in good fixture runs. You know, and, and we've seen in the past, Foden's gone on runs, Gundogan's gone on runs, Mares has gone on runs. And yeah, they don't last beyond seven or eight games, but it's just anticipating where those returns will have. Because the rest of the midfield and attack, you know, Haaland's going to be there, Rashford's going to be there, Saka's going to stay there. Um... They also got uh, Mitoma, possibly, you know, is going to stay there. We'll come on to that in a second. But, you know, the, the bat line is not going to change pretty much, barring injuries and suspension. So there is room, providing you're not booking in too many transfers and you haven't got too many, you know, risks. I think there is early season room for one or two short-term holds. And by short-term, I mean sort of five or, five or six teams, rather than just like one or two. Yeah. Well, you made reference to the options that are available in midfield. There are a number of different price points that are very attractive, but also very flexible as well. And the uh, the reason you're able to do that, of course, is because at the current point in time, you don't have Mohamed Salah in your team. That is very common. So, yeah. you know, for them, yeah. in terms of everybody else, you probably don't need to be too scared. But I suppose we know what he can do. Uh, that is Salah. And uh, I, I imagine you don't necessarily think he's a, he's a bad player this season. No. But it's just about how he would fit into your team. Have you tried a Salah draft yet? You know, what's your thinking there? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. I haven't. I mean, he's, he's the best midfielder in the game. Like, let's, let's, let's not get um, off the wrong foot. He, he, I don't dislike him. At some point, he will come into my team, you know, when the fixtures get better. Um, perhaps when we establish some new bargains for the season, there might be a new uh, Matoma of this season, there might be a new Armoran or, um, you know, budget defender who allows us to have that two premium setup. Um, but I think balance is, is this squad just looks better balanced. I've not, I admittedly haven't tried much with, with Salah in it, but I've seen other people's drafts. There's, there's plenty of RMTs on the message board at the moment. Um, and it just loses something, I think, particularly when you're not captain. I mean, there'd be only really one game before the, the second international break, probably game week two, where you'd even consider Salah. Cause I mean, the rest of the time it's going to be Haaland for, for those games I've just mentioned. Um, yeah, Liverpool have got Bournemouth at home in game week two, so that is a bit of a worry. But apart from that, you know, the other way at Chelsea, the way at Newcastle, they played Villa, who they who are much improved now. They've got Spurs away, they've got Brighton away. Um, not the greatest run, I think, in isolate in one or two fixtures that Salah's going to be the top scoring premium of the week, no doubt about it. But if you're looking medium term and where that extra cash can be spent, then my thinking is, is a draft without them at the moment. Now, you may go absolutely crazy in pre-season and, and then ultimately thinking, but we may get an injury to Rashford or, or Saka or someone like that, and that, that will adjust our mindsets as well. But at the moment, I think I see too many upsides in spreading that cash around uh, multiple nine, eight million midfielders 
rather than having Salah and you know lesser lights from the six million seven million pool. Yeah, um, that's but that could change. That's that's the thing really is that while there could be a Salah bandwagon, there may well be three or four other bandwagons in the same price brackets of players you already have, and so shifting to two to three, maybe four of those in the first six to ten game weeks probably have a better upside for your team in general. And I suppose because there's lots of people who don't have Salah, it does mean we don't quite have to be quite so scared of his effective ownership as well because it isn't when he does do well, it is just kind of by the law of averages, kind of less likely to damage your rank as well. So that's that's quite useful, quite helpful for planning to go against him because you know you don't have to compete with that captaincy except for really game week two. Um, but yeah. most of us like to roll a transfer going into that one anyway. So, I mean, oh, if Salah scores a hat trick game week one, what's he, what's he thinking? Do you go for him or do you just hold huh. your nerve? <laughs> yeah, it's easy to see here and see how I hold my nerve. When um, I know myself, I, I can be very weak minded when it comes to the early season <laughs> bandwagon. Uh, probably hold me nerve because it would just disrupt the entire the entire structure of that team. Um, he'd also have to be doing better than Harland, I think. For him to even come back to occasion, because even if he does, even if he does start in form, then he won't be handed the armband by me, other than other than game week two. So, um, yeah, I mean, I could lose one of the Arsenal mids and possibly lose Trent to get to get Salah in. So it's it might be Salah or Trent um, for that Liverpool slot. Uh, but yeah, I'd, I'd I'd love to think I'd be strong enough to to not disrupt. <laughs> Um, my plans for just off the back of one performance, but we know Salah has and can punish people when he's uh, when he's overlooked. It's, it's almost as if he knows when he's been overlooked in FPL. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I remember, I, remember a, I remember having a really good start of the season once. I was like, I was about twenty thousand in the world, like with a with a wild card still to play, and I opted to to get rid of Salah. It was the first time I'd ever not owned him in about two or three seasons, and then he scored a hat trick um, the following game. So I, uh, I am charged. Still, it was a weird Bournemouth. Yeah, yeah I mean, imagine I remember that weekend. The EDC that went into yes, selling them before Bournemouth. He then had a, had a few trickier games after that, but um, that derailed my season somewhat. So um, he's definitely got it, and he's not going to do that again. Yeah, I certainly remember there was uh, very much a shadow hanging over the the scout uh, slack that weekend. <laughs> Don't talk to Neil. He sold Salah. <laughs> So yeah, I, I will never, I'll never forget that one for sure. So yes, I know exactly what you mean. That could entirely happen, but fingers crossed, we can all stay strong this year. That is uh, what we, what we hope for. Um, let's jump into the more specific areas of your team then, and let's start with the, an area that I actually find very fascinating. Uh, so I don't know if you share my enthusiasm for it. The goalkeeper position, you've got uh, Flecken yeah. and Ariola at the moment. I'm very proud to see you are a fellow member of the Fleck Republic, as we are trying to uh, uh, <laughs> coin that term and get it widespread, courtesy of Mark Jobling. So yes, um, what uh, can convinced you to uh, join the Fleck Republic and uh, do you think you will stay uh, in our lovely country? Well, yeah, it it, uh, it depends on David Raya, I suppose. Um, if he's still there, which is the same thing happened last season, I think Strakosha was brought in and, and folk thought that Raya might be on his way because I think he's got another year left of his contract um, and there's talk of him heading for past years. But he's still there as we speak. The reason I've gone for, for Flecken is that Brentford their ability to concede shots for goalkeepers to save, but at the same time, few big chances. So, you know, shots that should be easy to save and then their goalkeepers can rack up save points um, is unparalleled. So they, they were, I've got it written down here, they were, I think they were 19th in the division for shots on target conceded last season. That's relegation form. But fourth for big chances conceded. So they allowed a lots of you know, long-range speculative efforts, efforts that David Raya should be saving. And that's in turn build up his save points, that in turn build up his bonus points. Um, so if it's just a goalkeeper that's changing and, you know, you've still got that bat line, it's been reinforced by Collins this summer. It's a it's a solid unit, that, you know, one of those teams that's better as a collective than they are individually. It's a system-led thing where players can come in and out. I mean, Ben May came in, People thought he was past it, and he's, he was absolutely excellent last season. They've got players like um, uh, Norgard in front of the defence as well, who helps with that effort. When they're playing bigger teams, they often have like Janelle in there as well. Um, so they've got a really solid base to start from. And yes, an inferior goalkeeper could slightly derail all that. We saw it to, to some extent when Rhea was injured in, in that first season. 
when Brentford came up. But Flecken sounds very much in the Raya mold that Mike Mark did a scout report on him and you know he's a ball playing distributor. He's um I think he's a Dutch is he a Dutch international or he's certainly under twenty ones. Um and he's he's got this very similar profile to that Raya. Maybe maybe slightly inferior in quality. Um Raya had like the best safe percentage in the division last year and and you know good XGP as well. But I still think if Fletton comes in at four point five, he's one of the one of the leading lights. As much as anything else at the moment, there's just so much uncertainty in the goalkeeper position. So I did an article yesterday. It was it was on the best budget goalkeepers for FPL, and I listed I think it was twelve or eleven teams who we think will be there will be a start in four point five goalkeeper, and there was only about three of them that we're absolutely sure about at the moment. So <laughs> Neto, Pickford, and Leno. The rest of them, Brentford being one, Brighton. You know, got Steele v Verbruggen. We don't know who's going to be the number one. Burnley's going to upgrade the keeper. Palace have got Johnston v Guaita. Johnston was playing towards the end of the season, but Guaita was number one originally before he got injured. Luton's going to buy a new goalkeeper. Forrester going to buy a new goalkeeper. Sheffield United might upgrade Fodringham, who's never played in the Premier League. There's talk that Ariola may be the new West Ham number one. This has come from, I think, ex-West Ham employees. So there's so much uncertainty. We don't often get this at this time of year, but so, so much that could change between now and game week one. Pre-season is going to be absolutely key for all these teams I've just mentioned. Because in a month's time, or in three or four weeks' time, we're going to know probably who's going to be number one for most of these teams. There was just so much uncertainty at the moment. So if I'm just looking at, at underlying numbers um, based on last season and some decent early fixtures as well for Brentford, then I like I like the look of Flecken uh, for the, certainly the, the first eight game weeks or so um, at the minimum. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. The, the goalkeeper position this summer, it's I think it's it's very cyclical in the sense that I think we get a, we get a summer like this perhaps every four years because that seems to be the average contract length these days. Yeah. And so then when when a, a it just it's a perfect storm, you just get so many expired contracts all happen at once, and everybody kind of plays like goalkeeper merry-go-round, and you know because. Yeah even at some of the bigger clubs, like with De Gea at United as well, you know, Spurs have got themselves a new goalkeeper as well. So it is very much a switcheroo. Um, I suppose my question would be, if Raya does leave, would you be more tempted yeah. by um, the Flecken Strakosha double up? Uh, because, you know, then you've guaranteed got the starting Brentford goalkeeper. You get to have the benefits of everything you've mentioned there, even in the event of an injury to one of them, or perhaps a, a dip in form for one of them as well. Um, you've got obviously got Ariola as well. I mean, a starting four million goalie at West Ham would be quite nice. But my guess is that uh, that's more just just out of the fact that Ariola could, in theory, be underpriced this season rather than you being expect, like, especially passionate about the West Ham defence. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that fixture run at the start is, is pretty bad as well. Um, it's a sort of echoes of Danny Ward last season, you know, when he established himself as as a, as a four-million starter, but Leicester had that awful run of fixtures. So there's, there's parallels there. I think Ariola, this is at the time of recording, Ariola and Bentley from Wolves, they're the sort of two great hopes, I think, from that four-million bracket who could possibly to start. And I do like having starting keepers from two different clubs because I think previously, and we might not get this this season, but when COVID hit or when um, you know when, when there was the, the Queen's death, uh, well, actually all the games were cancelled then, but something like that happens and then you get a postponement, then if you've got two goalkeepers from the same club, all of a sudden you know, you, you've got no playing goalkeeper. So I like to have two separate Playing goalkeepers ideally, it'd be great if one of them was four million. Um, so I, I would stick with a um, an Ariola or a Bentley back up to to um, to Flecken if either of those establish themselves as number ones. I probably won't rotate keepers. I mean, I I, um, I did an article on that. There's a great way of, of covering Brentford's tough fixtures with uh, Fulham's uh, Bert Neno, but you're playing nine million for two goalkeepers, and personally, I haven't done that. And then with those two as well they make a lot of saves. I think they were the top two for saves last season. So you never know when you're going to bench them at the wrong occasion. Um, you know, Raya could play away at Chelsea or, or whatever and, and pick up six, seven points just through saves and bonus, even if he doesn't keep a clean sheet. So I think there is, that is fraught with risk for team keepers. But um, yeah, I think I, I would ideally like an Areola or a Bentley backing up um, Flecken. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I suppose other scenarios that could possibly happen, uh, postponements due to weather, because yep. of course, you know, global warming yep. is is, is pre- yeah. periodically getting worse, as we've been told. Uh, of course, you know, train strikes as well are continuing. I can think of a number of plans yeah. I've had that I've had yeah. to move because of the train strikes. 
So, so any of those number of things could happen. You know, we've had, as you say, a very fraught number of years with those fixture postponements. So, yeah, backing it up with a different team does make yeah. a, a lot of sense for sure. Um, let's move into defence now. Uh, we sort of already talked about Trent a little bit. Um, we've also got a Stupinania. We've got Gabriel. We've got Reese James, and we've got uh, Bayer at Burnley. So, uh, a broad spread of uh, different price points there. And including a four million defender, who I think me and you are definitely ex- excited to have at least three. We think starting the season at that price. So, yeah. but let's start with Trent. Let's start with Trent. Um, you've obviously had to pay eight million. How locked in is he? How nervous are you about his price? Yeah, it wasn't great, but I, I think for the good of the game, it was the, it was the right thing to do. Um, you don't want to make him, you know, so cheap enough that he's just a. a, a essential for all teams. And I think looking at the moment, he's only the fourth most owned defender in the game. Um, 33%. So he had two thirds of managers don't actually own him. Um, so I think that it is a nice decision to have. I think it's, you want more of those types of, of 50, 50 calls rather than, rather than just a, a stately obvious template for me. At the moment, he's a, he's a, he's a lock and the fishers aren't ideal. Um, I think especially if I'm going without Salah, he gives me an option of a, of a game with two captaincy possibly. Um, not that I captain defenders very very often, but he's not a defender anymore, is he? He's been towards the end of the season. Now, there is talk that the new centre mids coming in might persuade Klopp to go back to a more conventional 4-3-3. Um, that was just one theory proposed by a number of people. However, if you just stick with that, that box setup, you know, the 3-2-2-3 with Trent in midfield, then... I, I think I still will prefer to stick with Trent. I think it's not a, it's not a, it's not even a contest at the moment, Trent v. Robertson, because Robertson's tucking in to be their third centre half, just isn't getting forward in much. If they were both orthodox fullbacks again, then there's definitely a debate to be had. But yeah, Trent. I mean, in those final nine games, which he's playing playing as a centre midfielder, um, he created nine big chances. Now, that's just in in that short stretch of games, nine games in as many game weeks. Only three defenders created more all season, so. He was really churning out the, the underlying numbers and I think seven assists in that time as well. He was he was shooting um from distance, still from distance, not too many shots in the box, I think just one. But he is a he's an eight million midfielder who gets you clean sheets, really. Um and sort of mid price midfielder attack return. So I am fairly confident I'm going to be starting with him. Um I think that, as much as anything else as well, last season, we can be lulled in a, in a false sense of security or a false um, conclusion that last year is going to be the same as this year. So there was just a dearth of clean sheets last year. It was a really much a not a year for defenders. You look back one one previous year, we were all about defenders. We were all going to start with five at the back this time last year. <laughs> yeah. Everyone talking about, you know, big at the back and sacrificing players up front. Seasons just have their own narratives and, and, and trends, you know, what happened last year is not going to necessarily happen this year. You know, Liverpool are going to strengthen midfield. They already have. Chelsea, Man City are probably going to be defensively better as well because it was just a freak occurrence last last season that they didn't get, I think they got, was it 13 or 14 clean sheets? Normally they're up at 20, 21. And their underlying numbers weren't that much worse. It's just, just there happened to be so many occasions where they conceded one goal of that, you know, an absolute ridiculous goal from long range. Damari Gray came about one. He scored against Man City out of nowhere. So I think you know you're going to get more you know there's just as much chance of us getting more clean sheets and attacking returns from defenders this year as there is a continuation of what happened in 22-23. Yeah. So I think to be be prepared with a flexible lineup which can you know mould in any shape you want it can go to five three two or can go to three four three. Just be prepared that it's not necessarily going to be the same as last year, and that's why I've got four. You know mid-price or premium defenders the most expensive of which is is trend yeah well actually before we talk about everybody else um while i've got actually got you uh, on a video and have the opportunity to ask you this is actually looking forward right if trent continues to play the role that he's currently playing do you think he would be have to be classified as midfielder next year i'm asking you to put your neck on the line to some extent mm. but like i think that's the forgotten uh sort of knock-on effect here so in effect could this be the last season that we get trent actually as an FPL defender you know could very much have a little bit of a farewell campaign if we think that maybe next year he's a midfielder because of that position that he plays in that new system yeah it's tricky on this because I, I wrote an article about potential position changes before FPL was relaunched 
And there was a separate section all about inverted fullbacks, which is what Trent is and is what John Stones is doing now at C. Um, so traditionally, FPL have just concentrated on, on team sheets. So if you're starting at right back on a team sheet, you're a defender. If you're starting as a right winger in a, in a front three on a team sheet, you're a midfielder. So it doesn't matter where you end up. It doesn't matter what where your heat map is or what how many touches in the box. You know, like Salah, his stats are ridiculous, but he's a right winger on a team sheet. So what? How do you how do you describe Liverpool's formation on a team sheet? Do you draw it? Do you draw it as four three three because that's what it becomes off the ball, and therefore Trent is a right back, so he's still a defender. Do you draw it as as we do now on on the scout team news page as a three two two three with Trent in midfield, because Liverpool spend more time on the ball in that shape than they do off it in a four three three. So really, you should you probably should be a midfielder, um, based on on that. You know, um, possession count and and on the ball tactics, but I would, so I wouldn't like to be them next this time next summer because it will be a big call if if we get a continu- continuation of that, um, because this is probably the biggest tactical shift we've seen in many a year in the Premier League, and um, it'll cause them to scratch their heads a bit. I think this this time next summer. Mm. It's certainly the biggest shift in in general um, positional uh, decisions, probably since four three three. Uh, became so popular in effect you've got people who are playing as in effect inside forwards still having to be considered as midfielders in the game because obviously that's been the subject of debate for for many many years that's probably the last time that we got that new thing come into it because back in the old days when we were playing FPL your front three would be like a Drogba a Rooney uh, and uh, like a Ronaldo or something and they're just they were centre forwards that was it (laughs) you know that, that was kind of how we went and we were very much big up top and you know now we're big in midfield now we've got these inverted fullbacks as well. It's it's uh, going to be a challenge, uh, as you say. I suppose they probably won't have that uh, challenge about Rhys James, who we expect to be more a traditional wing back this year. But uh, traditionally, where I've seen Rhys James uh, in in a mid in a defensive three, or possibly even a defensive four in some people's teams, you've actually got him as your first sub, and you sort of mentioned there that there's a there's a bit of a longer term plan with your defence. You know, having Gabriel James, Estupinan, Alexander Arnold. Um, yeah, I mean, to, James on the bench, my guess at the moment, just because Liverpool first game week, uh, hard game. Yeah, precisely that. Yeah, just just because of the fixture. Um, because beyond that, game weeks two to eight, it's absolutely brilliant. It's you know West Ham, Luton, Forest, Bournemouth, Villa. All right, that's not so easy. Fulham and Burnley after that. Um, he's he's still one I'm wavering on because he has he has proven time and time again to be to be vulnerable to injuries. The good thing is this year is that Chelsea's out of Europe, and there isn't the two games a week pressure on those limbs and joints that there was before. Now he can still pull up with a muscle injury, of course he can in any given game. Um but we do have Chilwell as well who's who's similarly injury prone. Um I think it's just that, you know, the focus just being on purely on domestic matters. The new manager, um Pochettino's history of, of um attacking fullbacks. I think we had that season, didn't we? When was it Trippier in Davies, was it? We've got seven and six That's assists right. apiece. Yeah. He rotated a lot. He did rotate those two a lot, but they were in Europe at the time. So I think we'll see less of that, certainly at the start of the season. So the jury's still out a bit. Um, there's such a, a big turnover of players. I'm, I'm loath to go too heavy on Chelsea at first, despite their good fixture run, um, because we just simply do not know how they're going to gel together. Um, but, I mean, Trent, James, and Estabino, which we'll come on in a second, they were both in the top 10 last season for, for minutes per for chance created amongst defenders. James, I mean, the previous season, if you, if you forget what happened last year, because Chelsea were just, from front to back, they were awful. But just the previous year, he was, he was second for, for minutes per expected assist and third for minutes per expected goal. So he had that dual threat. This is amongst defenders, by the way. He had that dual threat where he could get you an assist, but he could also get you a goal. Then he was obviously clean sheets on top of that. So historically, his underlying numbers have been great. Chelsea's as a, as a collective suffered last year, but... If and it's just a bit, it's it's the same thing. It's the same thing we see every hour. Reese James if just stay fit, then five point five is a great price for him, especially with those early fixtures. Um, might even enter the penalty taking conversation. He was he was in the mix apparently, according to Graham Potter earlier this year. Now they've signed and come in, so I'm expecting him to take the pens. But you never know. And they're part of the reason why I've got four um, decent defenders is because I know James is injury prone that he can easily be uh, a doubt one week with a hamstring problem or, you know, rule out for a longer period. So at least I have got three fairly attacking defenders, um, you know, to, to compensate for that. 
Yeah, and I suppose the thing about Estupinian and I guess Gabriel with their prices is that they are to some extent benchable. So, for example, I didn't have Estupinian in my initial draft because I, I'm kind of looking at Brighton initially as a bit of a short-term investment at the start of the season. Yeah. Their fixtures start to yeah. sour as Spurs and Chelsea's get a bit nicer, so yeah. it's potentially a placeholder. But then I just looked at Estupinian's numbers again, you talked there as well, and his price, he's definitely benchable for some of those difficult fixtures. So if you had James and those other three at the start of the season in a four-man rotation, um, do you envisage it being a stupid and Gabriel, for example, that you would you'd be subbing in uh, or subbing out, I should say, for James? Or would Visser enter that conversation being the cheaper of your forwards, for example? I just wondered where you, you felt that four-man rotation might take your team in terms of uh, rotating posi- uh, positions and lineups uh, from one week to the next. Yeah, you're, I think quite a lot of the time I'll be playing three um, at the back, but wish I would, would definitely enter part of that. I mean, for example... I think it'd be game week five, so Brighton are away at Man United then. So Estupina will probably be benched. But on that on that day, uh, on that game week, uh, Chelsea's away at Bournemouth, so James can play then. Um, Arsenal are away at Everton, so that Gabriel's playing then, and then Liverpool's playing Wolves. So that's that's your three your three man backline sorted, and Estupina can be on the bench for that. Um, so I, there is a, I'll have to obviously make longer term plans uh, because we get a game week one. But there was a little bit of that thinking further because yeah, Brighton's fixtures. Game week five is a tough one, and you can see it from game week seven, certainly. In between, I mean, I, w- I would definitely play him in the first three. I'd play him at home to Bournemouth in game week six. Even Newcastle in game week four, I think I think fair enough. I think Brighton at home, you can get you an attack in return. Um, the thing is with Brighton, after game week five, it's not just the fixtures that turn sour, it's the European involvement. Um, Europa, is it the Europa League they're in, I think? Yeah, it is Europa League. That will kick in after game week five, so they'll be playing twice a week. And we saw last season... Um, the carnage that, that unfolded in the running when Deserbi had to play twice a week. There was so much rotation. Not affecting Estup- Estupina, I should be said, but they will they sh- must surely have to sign a, a backup left-back this summer, playing twice a week. The hope would be that the, this new left-back, whoever that may be, um, is the Europa League guy um, and that Deserbi feels a second-string team in, in on the continent. Um, but... Regardless, I mean, Estepina could be a surplus to requirements anyway from, from game week seven. Um, when you have, yeah, if you've got Tottenham's run is about to start from that point, game week eight. So I'll have a, I'll have a, a good assessment period for the likes of Poro or um, the new left back they've got. Um, so, yeah, it, it, as you said, there, a, a shortish term investment, but uh, he's good enough, as we saw away at Arsenal in the running, to. to get you an attack and return regardless of the fixture. Yeah, it certainly makes a lot of sense uh, when you when you, you talk about Europe as well. Like, oh man, the rotation for Brighton last year was 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 really difficult, yeah. wasn't it? Um, we've got Gabriel in there as well. I think we might talk about him when we talk about your Arsenal players because that's very much a triple up. Because yeah. I just want to, I obviously want to get your thoughts on Bayer as the four million. Um, you know, we've got Bell, Anderson possibly in the conversation as well at Luton. Uh, George Baldock at Sheffield United. It feels like 2019 all over again when we've got a four million yeah. uh, Sheffield United defender, or we might even have it in Norrington Davis on the other side. So there's there's a well of right. choices here so uh yeah is Bayer simply just there as a placeholder do you do you think he's the best like what's your thinking with the four million defender yeah he's, he's placeholder for now um he's just i think the most secure at the moment i think of, of the of the and it's all promoted teams who, who are the playing options at the moment there might be somebody who leaps out of, of, uh, of the rest of the league as well like Lamptey or someone like that who um who becomes very obvious as preseason goes on, but yeah, Bayer was was he was like nailed for Burnley last season. As soon as he he signed, they made his move permanent this summer as well. The, the, I think he's called Beckon Bayer was his nickname amongst the Burnley fans. He was you know ball playing um, Colossus at the back. They have got a lot of centre halves. It must be said they've got uh, uh, Ekdal, um, another guy whose, whose name I can't remember. Well, they signed Dara Shea as well from West Brom. They've got four. Um, Potentially first choice centre halves, certainly three. I think Ekdal and O'Shea. Um, we we think at the moment, and we talked to a Burnley fan about this for our what series. We think Bayer's the, the nailed presence, and then there may be some rotation around him. Um, horses for course of selection. So that that would be, yeah, my thinking at the moment. Bayer's the most nailed, but but Luton's fixtures are better initially than Burnley's. Um, they've got um, I think the top of our ticket actually for for the first nine game weeks. And you wouldn't want to be playing them because, yeah, it's already having good fixtures, but is there as much faith in that backline as there is in, in Burnley's, for example? I don't think there is. But 
as preseason goes on, yeah, it could come Madison, it could become Bell. I think there's Baldock as well at Sheffield United, as well, as well as Norrington Davis, who I think has been injured for a long time. So it could become any one of those players. But I think I'll definitely have a, given the 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 gift that FPL have given us this summer with all those four defenders, I think it'll be daft not to have at least one of them in initially, at least while we suss out the landscape and assess whether the defenders are going to make a bit of a comeback this year. I think until then, it, it, it makes sense to have um, one formally an option. Because, and as I said before, rotation just isn't happening as much in the, in the first four or five game weeks. So you're not going to need a full, a strong squad initially. Yeah, it's very much about making sure that you've got as much money on the pitch as you possibly can, especially yeah. with that fifth defender for sure. So yeah, we'll very much see. And yeah, without wanting to just completely bash everybody over the head again, the, the correct answer to the four million defender question, we will probably know that come game week one because of that preseason minute spreadsheet. So make sure you keep um, an eye on that. I promised us to talk about Arsenal. So let's have a look at that as a kind of triple up now, because I suppose, you know, there's decisions here for a lot of managers on, I've, I've seen some teams with three Arsenal attackers, for example, you've decided to go with two midfielders, no Jesus and Gabriel, which is um, not actually the most common one I've seen. And again, it's, it's quite differential. So yeah, Saka, Martinelli, Gabriel is your current triple up. Or can you see that changing in any way? I suppose if if that were to happen, you know, if you were to get Jesus, that's a massive structural change, for example. So it's mm. really, I guess, a question of maybe fixtures versus players and form and things like that and structure as well, all rolled into one. So it's quite a broad subject, Arsenal, to talk about this season. Yeah, it, it, this definitely could change. So I think certainly one of them. So I think Martinelli's spot is the, is the one that's up for grabs. I think Saka, I'm very, I'm very keen on him from game week one. I think he, especially Arsenal's got four home fixes, I think, in the first six. And he was massively better at home last season. He was, I think he was amongst the, the top midfielders in the divisions for, for Minister per XG. I think it was Salah, Rashford, then Saka in home games. And there was a very compelling argument I saw someone make last season that as soon as Salah got injured, Saka just wasn't getting the ball as much, as much because they had, I think, Holden coming in. And the pass map, the distribution map was all towards the left. It had changed, you know, whereas Saliba had been forming a nice little sort of triangle with White and and Saka um, down that right. So I'm hoping with Saliba being fit again, that, that that sort of he sees more of the ball. But he's on pens. We, we Arteta said as much, in, even after he missed, he said he's going to physically come on the pitch and hand him the ball next time they get a penalty. Um, and I think as much as anything else, probably assured of minutes more than... than most of the Arsenal players. I think Odegaard you can put in Saka's club as well. But with Martinelli and with Jesus, I think, as well, there is a risk, I think, of minutes. I think Trossard can, can play in either of those positions. And Ketty, of course, is uh, is relief from the bench. Havertz can, of course, can as, as much as he's going to start, I think, on, on that Xhaka position, um, he can, you know, uh, moonlight as a striker when needed. So Martinelli is my concern at the moment. Uh, I would need to find 0.5, whatever I do. So if I'm going for Jesus, if I'm going for um, Odegaard, Odegaard's a 0.5 million upgrade in midfield. Jesus is the same price, but I'd probably be swapping uh, Wissa for Mbomo. So either way, I'd need, I think, 0.5 million generated to fit a different Arsenal attacker in over Martinelli. So where that would come from, I don't know, maybe Fernandes instead of Rashford, which I'd not be keen on. Um... And Cecil instead of Matoma. Again, these are the compromises I spoke of at the start of the video where you don't want you try and trying to avoid those compromises as much as you can. Um maybe, maybe um, City defender in for James, which wouldn't be that much of a compromise. So yeah, Martinelli's definitely the spot I'm not too sure of because as we saw last season when Trossard came in, there was the minutes risk. Even if Martinelli was starting, he was coming off 60, 70 minutes, and you're just watching the clock as soon as the second half started, knowing he was going to come off. So that's definitely the one up for grams. I'm keen on Saga. I'm keen on Gabriel as well, I think. Um, I looked at Saliba. Saliba was in my draft originally. I think I sent over this morning. Uh, he was he was doing brilliantly. I think he was... I did an article uh, last week, which was on... It was based on this year's prices and last year's points to see who the best value players was. And Saliba was the top value defender. However, Gabriel, I mean, he absolutely destroys him for goal threat. Um, Saliba scored twice that season. Gabriel scored three times. So it doesn't look that much difference, but... I think he was he was shooting. Gabriel was shooting at, a, at like four times the rate of Saliba. Like he he had a minutes per chance of um about 106, and Saliba's was about 400. Yeah, he had, he had 32 shots to Saliba's six, and and even accounting for that spell when Saliba was out the team injured, Gabriel was definitely the bigger goal threat from from free kicks and corners. Um, so I am 
keen on him, especially considering White is now 5.5. I think that's kind of made the decision for me. Uh, so yeah, Gabriel and Saka I think are, are nailed unless we see um, you know injuries and stuff in preseason, and it's that Martinelli spot where there is definite room for change. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's certainly the the one that everyone is most concerned about for sure. And I, I had him for a bit, and then yeah, as I sort of looked a little bit more into what you mentioned there about just the minutes threat, uh, Saka became a lot more uh, attractive, and I, I found point five thankfully and was able to uh, to stick him in. But um, one interesting thing that you've you just said actually not about Arsenal and that is of course um, very much sort of kind of alluding to the idea that you think that going Fernandez over Rashford is is a compromise that you don't really fancy, which I find very. Uh, interesting, because that for some people is a big fifty-fifty. But I, I suppose you perhaps already yeah. made your mind up. Well, not not necessarily. I think it's definitely more of a, of a closer call than it was last season. Okay. Obviously, with the price differences, um, Rashford's still going to pose the greater goal threat, and Fernandez is still going to be the the arch creator. Um, the concern, I think, is slightly over Mount. I mean, we saw Mount play deep yesterday, which hopefully is a sign that Bruno is still going to be the ten, or they're going to play with two Roman eights. You know, Mount and Fernandez. But then we saw Mount on some free kicks and corners yesterday against Leeds in the friendly. Is he going to eat into Bruno's set pieces? He was already sharing them or, or second in line behind Shaw for some of that. Um, so, yeah, Bruno being on pens is definitely to his advantage. Um, and you could easily fill your midfield with, with four pen takers, couldn't you? Or for even five, you could have Saka and Bruno. Um, um, Salah, if you had the money, and Fernandez, and then I don't know, maybe they gross or someone like that instead of Matuidi. You could you could just pack him with field full of penalty takers, but yeah, there is there is a there's definitely an argument to be had. I think until I've seen more of a Man United in preseason, I think I'm definitely favouring Rashford. If it becomes apparent that Mount is going to be Eriksson and just sit deep, and Fernandez is still going to be unleashed further forward, then there's there's more of an argument to be had about saving that point five. Um. But at the moment, I still prefer Rashford for that for that goal threat, which he definitely has more of compared to Fernandez. Look at him, shots of box, big chances and things like that. Even when he's not even playing up top, even when he's playing from that left, he's still um, prominent around that 12-yard, 12-18-yard mark. And I prefer goals over assists. Yeah, well, absolutely. Uh, the extra point uh, in midfield, especially uh, is, is for the for the goal versus say you know forwards goal as well, is is, is big. I, I was actually having this this conversation with with Gianni earlier this week as well about him on the left hand side. And yeah, you you're right. His ability to still offer serious goal threat, Rashford on the left hand side, is is basically just because he's much better at facing goal. You know, he's very good at making those penalty box entries. It's harder for defenders to really uh, stop that in the same way that they could perhaps if he had to have his back to goal, maybe get bullied by defenders. So. Even if they do sign a centre forward, Rashford um, on the left is you know uh, you know not to be sniffed at um, for sure. So yeah, make a good case there. Um, and yeah, but you're right. Also, preseason it's going to help answer some of those questions. You reference Gross as a possibility as you could have team. You currently got Matoma there. Um, how wedded are you to uh, Matoma is the best Brighton? Is there the possibility he could be convinced to go Gross? Gross famously didn't make the, the Fantasy Football Scout Team of the Season uh, nomination for the midfielders. Uh, you know, McAllister, March, Matoma, all in. Gross scored more points than all three of them, didn't make it. So is he being slept on, do you think? And can you see yourself going with him between now and the start of the season? I think the problem with Gross is that if he doesn't get penalties, um, which he might... Thing is, his, his record's very checkered in the past. I did again an article last night. I'll point to this article on the site. It was a, going through all 20 teams looking who's going to be penalty takers this season, and there's a big gap at, at right now because McAllister's left. But they've got they've got loads of players who have taken penalties in the past. Um, Estupinan's taken penalties for Ecuador uh, at various levels. Um, uh, Ferguson's taken some at, at under under a 21 level as well. Um, Milner, of course, is now with the club. I don't know how much game time he's going to get, but he's very uh, prolific from the spot. Welbeck's taken some in the past. Enciso's taken some in the past. Gilmore's taken 11 in his career. I don't know where. Scored 9 out of 11. So it's not a given that Gross gets penalties. And we're expecting him to be where he was last season, which is um, either in the double pivots alongside whoever replaces Caicedo, maybe Gilmore, or um, Moonlighting at right back again. I mean, I don't, I'm not sure what they're going to do at right back this season. Even when Veltman was sort of half fit last year, Jose still played gross uh, right back for quite a lot of games. Um, even preferred him over Lamptey on, on some occasion. So 
the the worry with Gross is, is a bit like McAllister last season, is that you're never quite sure he's going to start. Even even considering that, he still managed to get what did he get? Um uh I'm trying to look at attack returns. He got nine goals and eight assists, which is very good for what he started out at, which is five point five. The reason he the reason he, he outscored um all the other Brighton mids was more to do with the fact that he's played every single game. I think he played thirty seven out of thirty eight. So his points total was was more than Matuama March and, and McAllister, but points per match, he was behind the others. Um, and Matuama didn't come into the into the team really until sort of what was it game nine ten or something like that. It was later on in the in the season, and March had a long spell out injured. So points per match, assuming everyone stays fit, then Gross I think is still an inferior option if he's not on penalties. If he is on penalties, if we get a heads up on that, then I think. There's a McAllister to be to be had all over again um, about playing from a deeper position, but still having penalties in your locker. And in Gross's case, some free kicks and corners as well. March does take a few, but um, he is on. He's he could become like a Ward Prowse, you know, not much threat from open player, but free kicks, corners, and potentially penalties in his locker. That is one of the, the talking points of preseason. I think who's going to inherit penalties at, at Brighton because that could be the, the difference. I tell you what, if I played for a team that was going to play Brighton in the preseason, and I also had a fantasy Premier League team, I would be fouling their players <laughs> in the box every five minutes just to find out who's taking the penalties. That would be so helpful. Um, so yeah, fingers crossed on that front. I mean, it's crazy with Gross because actually, I was just I was just having a look as well. Um, 159 points. That is his second highest ever like score in FPL. Uh, just um, what's that? Five points shy of his his debut campaign, which of course was when he was you know in everybody's team for basically most of the campaign and he probably made team of the season that year is my guess um but yeah just wasn't wasn't talked about all that much and so that that's just one of the things that I just makes me wonder if if we're if we're overlooking him but you're right it's it's all it's all about those penalties isn't it for sure so um we will absolutely uh, have to see well we've kind of already talked about your forwards and we've gone through all your midfielders so it kind of just leaves us with one guy left to talk about and that is Cameron Archer sat there third on your bench um he seems to be emerging as the guy that everyone's got in that 4.5 slot um there is a lot of people and people will be sick of me making this comment who just picked their third striker based on whatever banter they can come up with for example the general has <laughs> plange so that he can take him um for example um you what's your thinking behind archer i'm hoping there's some kind of great sitcom reference here or something or is it simply just because you know uh, he's the one everyone else has got or maybe alphabetically he's the one that comes up first i, I i'm i'm intrigued to see your thoughts there i'm a, I'm a big fan of disgraced uh, tory peer jeffrey archer uh, <laughs> no, not really um yeah, I'll be honest. It was it was kind of just at, at first glance. It's where I thought the most likely minutes were going to come. But in actual fact, what I think you want for a four point five forward, especially if you're not playing, if he's like your third option, because you're going to have to get very, 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 very lucky to get a um, someone who's going to contribute even bench appearances from four point five, is to get the lowest owner on, um, who isn't going to go down in price. So if you, if for example. I think 11, 11% have got Sam Surridge at the moment. So he's the most owned 4.5 forward. If um, the season starts and he's transferred elsewhere or he gets injured or he's just not playing and people start offloading him, his price is more likely to, to probably come down um, if there's mass sales. You know, if you've got someone like, um, I don't know, Taylor of Luton, who just isn't, isn't, no one expecting any kind of appearances from him to start with. So he's not going to be sold by many players, then the price isn't as likely to drop. Now, I might have completely botched the FPL price algorithm there, but um, I think as often it's, it appears to go with the le- one of the least popular options in the 4.5 bracket if you're not planning to play them, um, just to avert the threat of a price drop. But Archer, I've been reading about him. Um, I think Archer and Balogun could get loans elsewhere uh, or even permanent moves elsewhere. There's a, there's a talk that Archer could stay at Villa because they're obviously competing in the uh, Conference League as well. So he could be the um, Europa Conference League starter and then contribute minutes from the bench to Watkins because as far as I'm aware, Villa haven't seen anybody else yet. They've got that young, um, is it John Duran, who really hasn't done much yet. They're really lacking in, in striking options. I'm not sure if they're planning to, to reinforce up top. Um but yeah, that four point five slot is—I mean, it could be anybody at the moment. Preseason <laughs> might tell us more. Yeah, 
the the hope would be that one of these players gets a, a um, maybe a Balogun goes to Fulham or West Ham or something like that. But then again, everyone's going to have him at that point. Um, so it's it's probably the, the it's the the player we've finished on in this video, but it's the player I've got least I've put least input into in terms of thought process, almost like a throwaway selection with Archer. Um, and it's just purely based on playing three five two or four five one most weeks. Yeah, I have to say I, I do really wish that um, John Duran was four point five because then I would pick him just purely so I could just make Duran Duran pumps. Uh, you know, I just yeah. say so would be like let's save a prayer for whether or not he's going to play this week. You know, it would just it would just be an endless stream. But unfortunately, he's 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 five he's five point zero million. So thanks for that, FPL. It just, it's such a great opportunity for us <laughs> to have some banter. But oh well. Uh, but yeah, I, I know what you mean. Like everyone's going in on Sam Surridge, but that just seems like an accident waiting to happen because none of these guys are going to play. There's no one we can really yeah. see who's going to play. And so when they don't play. That is just going to trigger sales when people are... I mean, let's be honest, we're going to see people find they can't get to a third striker who perhaps starts well, and then they just yeah. ditch someone um, to upgrade that guy. It's just, yeah, you can see that coming. You can see that coming a mile off, yeah. so we just got to be careful, haven't we? I think... I mean, Cor I'll, I'll, I'll briefly mention Corley Woodrow because he, he played 27 times for, for Luton last season, but 22 of them, I think, were off the bench. And they have already signed another forward slash winger, um, Ogbeni, I think, from from Rotherham. So he might already be third or fourth in the in the pecking order there, Luton. But he might he might get your minutes off the bench. But I wouldn't certainly wouldn't be um, putting hopes on him on him starting. Yeah, that's the thing is uh, don't pin any hopes here. In fact, Joe yeah. even said on his video yeah. that he might as well just put his cat as the third 4.5 striker because it's, it doesn't matter. It literally is not going to matter who it is as long as it's not somebody who's going to drop in price. But yes, that's uh, that's covered the whole of your team there, Neil. Thanks very much for talking us through it. There's lots of really interesting dynamics there. So it's very different to a lot of the drafts that I've seen so far, which is uh, nice to see from the, the editor of Fantasy Football Scout as well, picking out some uh, some some gems or some some different ways of, of thinking about some of these positions. So yeah, thank you very much for uh, helping us out there. Um, I'm going to bash everyone, everyone over the head one last time uh, with that, that final call to make sure that you've signed up for Fantasy Football Scout membership and you can get even more of Neil and Tom and Mark's thoughts in those membership articles as well. Now is the time to do it 30% you can save on the pre-season prices and you're going to get all manner of benefits from that don't also forget to uh, like this video and subscribe to the Fantasy Football Scout YouTube channel it costs you nothing and it helps us know exactly what kind of content to make and to keep doing and which content not to do for example so you know it's very useful uh, litmus test of that so make sure you uh, you do that and of course hit that bell notification as well because that means you won't ever miss a piece of content between now and the start of the season so uh, with that, it's a, it's a goodbye from me. Have you got anything else to add, uh, Neil? I don't think so, David. Other than I'll um, I'll see everybody uh, closer to game week one. We'll be probably in about four weeks today or tomorrow. We'll be doing the first team news video of the season. Um, but yeah, we'll, we've got lots of more editorial stuff to come between now and then. Uh, previews of all twenty clubs. Uh, we're going through the price list still. We've got um, scout reports, moving target articles, um, more. Uh, pro pundits as well are coming back i think uh, prize has got one coming out tomorrow as well um we've got tom's 10 things to look out for in pre-season will come tonight as well so lots of good stuff uh, to come in the weeks to come yeah i mean that is the thing is everybody is enjoying their summer uh, and maybe you are enjoying it as well but you are very very busy so we have to be making sure that everybody is checking out their content because they are working very hard on it and it will be very uh very useful but yes thanks uh, very much uh, for that neil we shall leave you fine folks to enjoy the rest of your tinkering on your teams and we will see you next time